So I think there are three key components in the bill. First, it allows Medicare to negotiate drug prices directly with drug manufacturers. Lawmakers call it negotiations, uh, drug pricing negotiations, but pharma companies call it price controls. That's Angus Liu, a staff writer here at Fierce Pharma. Later, we'll hear more from him about a landmark drug pricing bill the U.S. Senate passed on Sunday. I'm Teresa Carey, and this is The Top Line from Fierce Biotech, Fierce MedTech, and Fierce Pharma. This episode is brought to you by Zymo Research. And I have an exciting announcement. Each year, we spotlight women who are leading the way in life sciences. Women are making their mark all over biotech, pharma, and medtech, and we want to know about them. So we invite you to share your nominations at FiercePharma.com. We're looking for women who are making a lasting impact in the industry. Submit your nominations by midnight on Friday, August 26th for consideration in our list of 2022's Fiercest Women in Life Sciences. Today is Friday, August 12th, and sometimes we can't help it but giggle over our own headlines, especially when some interesting words like werewolf, standing urine, or fantastic voyage sneak their way in. And trust me, it's not clickbait. But we'll get to that after the news. For now, stick with us. We've got all the biopharma and medtech industry news you need. The FDA has approved the first therapy targeted to treat metastatic breast cancer expressing low levels of HER2. Angus Liu reports that the historic approval went to AstraZeneca and Daiichi Senkyo's drug called InHER2. When a breast cancer patient tests positive for a protein called human epidermal growth factor receptor, we call it HER2 positive. A new category, HER2 low, was once a part of HER2 negative, but about half of breast cancer diagnoses in the U.S. could fit the HER2 low description. And this newly approved drug, which sounds a little like the protein but is really pronounced in HER2, has shown remarkable benefits in this particular patient population. In a phase three trial of previously treated patients, the drug cut the risk of disease progression or death by 50%, and when compared with chemo, it cut the risk of death by 36%. The FDA apparently feels the urgency to clear this breakthrough therapy. The announcement came less than two weeks after AstraZeneca and Daiichi Senkyo said the FDA had accepted their application for priority review. The FDA approved the drug four months ahead of schedule. COVID-19 vaccine manufacturers delivered eye-popping revenue figures throughout 2021. But as the Fierce Pharma team reports, the timing of vaccine deliveries and a recent demand slump severely hurt their performance in the second quarter of this year. Novavax is a newcomer in the COVID vaccine game, and after a strong debut earlier this year, their second quarter sales dropped. This prompted the company to cut billions of dollars from its 2022 revenue guidance. The company generated $186 million in the second quarter, a far cry from the $704 million it pulled down over the first three months of the year. Also working through demand issues is mRNA specialist Moderna. Its sales were up 9% year over year in the second quarter, but Moderna wrote off $499 million in unused inventory in the second quarter. Combined with adverse changes in purchase orders and unused external manufacturing capacity, Moderna's expenses, tied to lower-than-expected demand, reached more than $800 million. And Moderna isn't the only one struggling. BioNTech's sales were also an issue. 
BioNTech reported revenue of 3.2 billion euros in the second quarter. That's about 3.3 billion U.S. dollars. It was a 40% decline from the same period last year. BioNTech also had inventory issues. The company is Pfizer's global 19 vaccine partner. They wrote off 400 million euros worth of unused inventory, nearly matching Moderna. Biotech is seeing a glimmer of hope after two quarters of challenges. This is thanks to three massive deals from GSK, Merck, and Bristol-Myers. Annalie Armstrong reports that the deals are very different, but the pharmas are making some big promises to a couple of tiny biotechs at a time when the industry needs it most. First, GSK is putting up to $1.36 billion on the line for Mersana Therapeutics to develop an antibody drug conjugate together. GSK already has one marketed antibody drug conjugate, so if approved, this would be the second in GSK's portfolio. Mersana will receive $100 million upfront in granting GSK the option to license the candidate. This would be the largest deal to date for an antibody drug conjugate asset. The next deal comes from Merck, which is marking a re-entry into Alzheimer's disease with $35 million upfront and $1.1 billion in Biobucks. The deal is with brain disorder biotech Cerevance. The two companies collaborate to identify new targets for Alzheimer's, including one single discovery stage program that will be licensed out to Merck. Bristol-Myers Squibb and Gentibio are partnering up for three programs to treat inflammatory bowel disease. The programs involve genetically modified regulatory T-cells, or Tregs. These cells play a key role in modulating other cells in the human system so they don't attack the body's own tissues. The failure of Tregs can lead to autoimmune diseases. The hope is that Gentibio's platform will overcome many of the current limitations of Tregs therapeutics, and the deal is worth up to $1.9 billion in biobucks, an upfront payment, and milestone payouts. These three major deals come as the biotech industry is going through a resurgence of sorts. After two quarters of declining stock prices and massive layoffs, a few M&A deals and these licensing bets are shedding more optimism in the sector. We're all familiar with warranties for things like cars, appliances, and electronic devices. If your new iPhone stops working, Apple will send you a replacement. But drugs don't come with a money-back guarantee. It's usually buyer beware. In the last few years, however, some pharma companies have experimented with refunds to build trust in their products and entice patients to give them a try. One such company is Pfizer. Kevin Dunleavy reports that last year, the pharma giant introduced a warranty program for its lung cancer drug, Zelcori. And now the company is doing the same for its rare disease drug, Panzyga. Pfizer says that if a doctor takes a patient off the drug after four or fewer treatments, the company will refund its cost. Pfizer will return whatever the patient paid out of pocket. It also will refund the patient's insurance plan, up to $16,500 per treatment, with the total reimbursement not to exceed $50,000. There's one key difference between Pfizer's warranties for the two drugs— The newer program will not reimburse patients who are on Medicare or other government insurance programs. Pfizer is apparently refining its warranty act as it goes. Industry watchers say to expect more of these programs in the future, especially with highly specialized and very expensive products such as gene therapies coming online. On Sunday, the U.S. Senate passed a landmark drug pricing bill. 
While the pharmaceutical industry favors the bill's Medicare out-of-pocket cap for patients, the industry has also put up a major fight against Medicare pricing negotiations. The bill's passage marked a loss for the industry, but analysts aren't sure how much the legislation will actually cut drug prices. After a break from our sponsor, we'll hear more on this from Eric Saganowski and Angus Liu. Zymo Research is a world leader in sample collection. Safe Collect sample collection kits are designed for at-home sample collection with no cold shipping or expedited shipping required. Samples stay stable at ambient temperature for up to 30 days, and samples are safe to transport with DNA, RNA shield, and activating pathogens, including COVID-19 and monkeypox. I received a series of sample collection kits from Zymo Research, and we tested them out with my family. Both the oral swab and saliva collection methods were very easy to use. I have two young kids, and I can confirm that it is not easy to do proper nasal swabs on children under five. Uh, While the saliva collection took a little while to complete, it was very effective with my five-year-old. He even had fun doing it. And my two-year-old did great with the oral swab. It's highly preferred over the traditional nasal swabs. The sample instructions were clear, the collection method was easy, and I was comforted knowing that any pathogens would be deactivated once they enter the test collection kit. If you'd like to learn more about Safe Collect Sample Collection Kits, go to zymoresearch.com. That's Z-Y-M-O research.com. Today, we're talking about the Inflation Reduction Act that the Senate passed over the weekend. The bill contains changes to the U.S. drug pricing laws that the pharmaceutical industry had ardently resisted. It's industry's first major drug pricing loss in many years. So what's in the bill? So I think there are three key components in the bill. First, it allows Medicare to negotiate drug prices directly with drug manufacturers. Lawmakers call it negotiations, uh, drug pricing negotiations, but pharma companies call it price controls. Uh, This is limited to uh, 10 costly pharmacy drugs starting in 2026, uh, with the number gradually increasing in the following years. And Medicare Part B negotiations are set to follow in uh, 2028. Uh, So secondly, the bill will put an inflation cap on drug price hikes. Uh, So drug makers have to pay Medicare additional rebates if they're raising drug prices above inflation rate. And there's a third component to it. Uh, This is a more tangible benefit for patients. So the bill has a 2000 out-of-pocket cap annually for Medicare Part D per person. Interesting. So what was the industry's response to these various measures? And what enforcement tools does the bill give to the government to limit prices? The industry uh, favors the 2000 out-of-pocket cap for patients, uh, but it's opposed to the Medicare price control element. Uh, Some venture capital investors argue Medicare negotiations negotiations will result in less incentive for R&D. But the Congressional Budget Office concluded this will only lead to about 1% fewer drug launches or just 15 fewer drugs in total over several decades. Uh, but in the meantime, the the bill gives the U.S. the power to tax companies that don't participate in negotiations. So that's comes the argument by pharma companies that this is price controls because this financial repercussions for not participating in the negotiations are just too big, so harsh that they will in fact be compelled to offer price con- concessions, uh, not kind of a, a a negotiation price, but a compelled enforcement 
uh, into these price uh, negotiations. Uh, and we've also talked about the additional rebates to Medicare uh, if they raise drug prices faster than inflation. Uh, I think those are kind of the enforcement tools that the U.S. government could use uh, to compel companies to comply. What about you, Eric? Uh, what are the reactions that you've heard? Yeah, so last week we did a, a synopsis of some commentary on analyst conference calls by these big pharma companies. And like you mentioned, the, the companies are in favor of a Medicare out-of-pocket cap for patients, but they're very against the the negotiate the negotiations component. They're saying that, like you mentioned, it's price controls. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's unusual to see the pharma industry on the defensive like this. Normally. Yeah, I think they have always get their way. Yeah, yeah, they usually get their way. So seeing them take a loss here was surprising to me. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been with Fierce almost eight years now, and this is the first major reform that I've seen. Mm -hmm. Definitely. But on the financial side, analysts aren't sure exactly how this will affect prices. So what, what are they saying there? Yeah, uh, I think the words I'm hearing from SVB Securities, uh, they're saying that some products, older products, mainly from AstraZeneca, Amgen, Eli Lele, and FV, they are those products are among those at the highest risk to fall under the government's price controls, uh, and uh, this will also because of the 2,000 out of pocket cap. Uh, payers will have to apply, and I quote, uh, more utilization management and extract greater rebates from drug manufacturers, unquote. I think this also means that uh, payers will have to be more careful about their expenses because of the 2000 out-of-pocket cap. And they also the SVB analysts uh, raise a very interesting point, saying that biopharma companies they could bypass the new law by authorizing limited competition to products. So, you know, one of the uh, prerequisite for uh, a drug to be included in the price negotiation negotiation process is that the drug has to be on the market for a long time. And it has to it has to have no uh, competitor, no copycat, no gener- generics or biosimilars on the market. So, what as SVB analysts uh, are saying is that the companies could authorize limited competition to products, introduce uh, one or two products with limited market, so they won't be the sole player. They will have some generic or biosimilars, so what they will be multi-source and therefore won't be eligible for the governments to enforce uh, that price control process. And uh, on another point is, while the bill caps drug prices increases at inflation rate, it doesn't really control the initial prices. So uh, the analysts are saying that companies can now launch their drugs at higher list prices, just be more careful with how much they increase the prices in the future. Very interesting. And one of the things to note is that these rules all apply to Medicare, so the commercial markets are unaffected. I just thought that was an important thing to note. So yeah. what's next for the bill? Uh, well, uh, right now we're speaking on Monday, uh, just one day after the Senate vote. Uh, the House of Representatives is expected to take up the legislation Friday uh, when our podcast airs. So if it passes in the House, uh, President Joe Biden is, is back. Uh, is expected to sign it into law. 
Pfizer is riding high on its COVID-19 windfall, but the company has also been scouring the biopharma landscape for new assets to bring into its fold. Now, Pfizer has inked a buyout of Global Blood Therapeutics and its marketed sickle cell disease drug. After a break from our sponsor, we'll hear more on this from James Waldron and Eric Saganowski. Zymo Research is a world leader in sample collection. SafeCollect sample collection kits are designed for at-home sample collection with no cold shipping or expedited shipping required. Samples stay stable at ambient temperature for up to 30 days, and samples are safe to transport with DNA, RNA shield, and activating pathogens, including COVID-19 and monkeypox. SafeCollect sample kits can be used to detect a number of pathogens, including but not limited to SARS-CoV-2, dengue virus, Ebola virus, influenza A, rhinovirus, MERS coronavirus, West Nile virus, as well as a number of bacteria and yeast and eukaryotes. From NASA to Nobel Prize winners, those who rely on safe, simple, reliable sample collection use Zymo Research products. To learn more about Safe Collect sample collection kits, go to ZymoResearch.com. That's Z-Y-M-O Research.com. Last Wednesday, Bloomberg reported that GBT was said to be attracting takeover interest without naming potential buyers. By the time I opened my laptop on Monday, the deal had been announced. Pfizer is spending $5.4 billion to purchase GBT and its marketed sickle cell disease drug, Oxbrita. Sickle cell disease disproportionately affects people of African descent, so the company wants to boost Oxbrita's distribution in places where people can benefit. That's something that GBT couldn't do as well on its own. Oxbrita is a relatively new oral drug that generated almost $200 million last year. But analysts think it could become a blockbuster. That's an industry term for drugs that generate $1 billion or more per year. Aside from the marketed drug in the deal, what can you tell me about GBT's pipeline? Well, yeah, they've got quite an interesting clinical pipeline consisting of two candidates. So one is called GBT-601, and that's a next-generation sickle hemoglobin polymerization inhibitor. That's currently in a, the mid-stage part of a phase 2-3 trial for sickle cell disease. It's a drug that you're meant to take once a day. And in the announcement of the deal, Pfizer was pointing out what it saw as this drug's potential to be a best-in-class agent to reduce hemolysis, which is the destruction of red blood cells. And they also hope it could reduce the frequency of something called vaso-occlusive crisis, which is basically where sickled red blood cells deprive tissues of oxygen by blocking the blood flow. And then the other clinical candidate is a monoclonal antibody targeting a protein called P-selectin. Now, this one's already in phase three trials, and it's quite different in terms of you only have to take it quarterly, but it is also aimed at reducing the frequency of of vaso-occlusive crisis. So there's some similarity there in terms of how they're trying to target it. And both of these drugs have already received orphan and rare pediatric disease tags from the FDA. So they've got a bit of momentum behind them. Interesting. And those are in clinical development. Are there any other pipeline candidates worth mentioning? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of the attention from the deal was on those two candidates already in the clinic, maybe understandably. But if you dig a bit deeper, you know, I noticed they've got some quite interesting projects in preclinical development. So one of these is a collaboration with Ciros Pharmaceuticals, aiming to use their gene control platform to try and turn on the expression of gamma globin. So the two companies kind of explain this as aiming to induce the production of something called fetal hemoglobin, which they say is known to have protective effects on the red blood cells of patients with sickle cell disease and also a similar condition called beta thalassemia. 
and you know therefore mitigate some of the symptoms of those diseases. Then there's also a couple of other assets that were licensed from Sanofi last year. One of those is a treatment for anti-cycling, which is a term for preventing the hemoglobin in red blood cells from clumping together. And the other is aimed at reducing inflammation and oxidative stress. So you can see there's slightly more depth to GMT's pipeline than we maybe saw in the initial coverage, which obviously focused on approved drugs and drugs that are already making their way through the clinic. And then one thing that I thought was interesting was in the terms of M&A trends, you know, I, I looked at this specifically in terms of what GMT's got coming down the pipeline, you know, from biotech focus. But, you know, with your kind of pharma viewpoint, is this deal unusual for Pfizer or is this fitting in with a broader trend for how they're approaching M&A? Yeah, it seems to be fitting in with their strategy right now. Uh, this comes after Pfizer's $11.6 billion deal for migraine specialist Biohaven. Biohaven markets the up-and-coming migraine pill Nurtec, which has FDA approvals to both treat and prevent migraines. So there could be an interesting formula at play for Pfizer here. The company seems to be buying relatively new oral therapies marketed by smaller drug makers. Then it's using its marketing muscle to get more from the medicines than their original makers could. We'll have to see if Pfizer strikes any other buyouts like this. And then on the pipeline expansion side, Pfizer's also been busy. They recently bought Arena Pharmaceuticals and Reviral for $6.7 billion and $525 million, respectively, both to add to its pipeline. One thing that I found interesting during this acquisition spree is that Pfizer is staying away from megabuys, you know, large buyouts of $20 billion or more, let's say. Uh, maybe that's because the Federal Trade Commission in the United States has promised to more thoroughly review large pharma mergers. That's just one idea for me. And then Merck was said to be looking at a $40 billion bio of CGen. They're a cancer specialist, but that has yet to come to fruition. So maybe companies are staying away from large deals for now. Yeah, that's definitely a trend that we'll want to keep an eye on from our side for sure. Okay, so many of us have been working remotely for some time now, and we've gotten used to the chats and banter on Slack or Teams or any of those chat apps. The quick and brief banter is a different type of humor. And the thing that gets us going over here at Fierce is a good headline. If you thought talking about biotech or pharmaceuticals all day would get kind of drab, well, that doesn't happen. Sometimes we end up ROFL. <laughs> and here to share their favorites are Ben Adams and Fraser Kansteiner. So there's a drug, it's called interleukin-2, but you, you pronounce it as IL-2, you just shorten it to that. And we came up with this cleanup on IL-2. Moderna mops up autoimmune asset after peaking at early data. See, I, I love a little pun like that. Um, and he did get some kudos, um, I think from Bloomberg and from some other people. Um, and I like Annalise Beam's light scatters as FDA blocks phase one study for lymphoma CAR T. So Beam's obviously in the name of the company. Again, I do like a good pun. What do you think, Frazier? What are some of yours? On the whole, biotech's pun game is a little bit better. You guys have a clear advantage in terms of your company names. You know, over oh, yeah. on Pharma, it's it's Eli Lilly, it's AstraZeneca. <laughs> hey, Lilly Leapfrogs. Then, then there's like there's loads of things you can do that. <laughs> yeah, but we Lilly Leapfrogs <laughs> is good. Oh, we've used. You that can only that use that once. That's, yeah, yeah, we we have got an abundance of names at biotech. You're right. We 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 do have an unfair advantage. You have your werewolves, your mammoths, your cassavas. <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> we do get our fair share of puns. I think the best one in recent memory was one Kevin wrote. It was uh, on Merck's second quarter earnings call. Obviously, a lot of the interest is on the potential merger with CGen. Our headline was nothing to CGen here. 
Merck Remains' mom on merger. I, I really like that one too. And given that really there was no news because nothing happened, I think that's a fantastic headline. I also like Andrea's um, on the fierce med tech side. The doctor is in. Study finds dogs can sniff out COVID-19 with 96% accuracy. <laughs> but um, no, I, I really like that one as well. Clever. And oh, and James, again from fierce biotech. Apollo lands inflammatory antibody from Abelo for $90 million in biobucks. We also have a great name in Galapagos. It obviously being an island, it obviously being related to Charles Darwin, evolution, birds, finches, um, erosion. They've had a lot of problems recently. So they have had uh, devolution. They've been eroded. Um, they've gone backwards. Things have taken flight. They're, yeah, we've really mined Galapagos. I think, I think we probably need to stop now. Um, yeah. Oh, and uh, I'm going to call out a couple from Tracy. I'm sure she's written thousands, maybe tens of thousands of headlines. Um, and one is just Sanofi's AR campaign uses snotty sneezes to pitch Allegra in Brazil, which sounds disgusting, um, but would absolutely make me click through. We do try and find a way of being respectful for what we're doing whilst also you know, having a little bit of fun ourselves. Yeah, we've definitely had a lot of conversations recently, whether it's appropriate to make little jokes about, you know... Um, you know, like scratching an itch for a dermatology drug, something like that, you know, things that, that really can come off as insensitive if you're not being careful. The two that I picked from drug delivery, one is from uh, one of our writers, Nick. It's Roll Flip Spin. Stanford develops amphibious robot for a fantastic voyage. You get a sense of how this, you know, little device moves through the body, and then you're given the, the image of the fantastic voyage of a little machine flowing through someone's bloodstream. It's very exciting. Um, and then a personal favorite of mine, robotic jaws could make medicated chewing gum trials easier to swallow. One of mine was um, the seven-year itch, bowring a coal $600 million cancer pact with CureVet. Obviously, that came after seven years. <laughs> um, one that I did on a series of, of drug recalls that uh, Beatrice has done over the past year was the mysterious case of Beatrice and the missing insulin label deepens. A sort of, uh, you know, Agatha Christie mystery type vibe. Eric Palmer no longer works with us, but we were speaking with him yesterday about past headlines and he personally has emailed me this one. This one isn't a pun. It just really begs the question of what the heck is going on. Um, it's FDA excoriates Walkhart over missing records, standing here. Um, and I think the juxtaposition of a, a high class word like excoriates and standing urine. urine is just <laughs> fantastic. Chef's kiss. And I'm not just urine, standing urine. So, yeah, that was a fun one. That's it for the top line. I'm senior producer Teresa Carey. Our sound engineer is Caleb Hodgson. You can find out more about these topics in our show notes at FiercePharma.com. Look for podcasts. Don't forget to follow The Top Line on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you listen. And that's The Bottom Line from The Top Line.